So it's great that this morning we've got Alan and Roger, as I say, from the North Coast Church who are going to talk to us about sharing your faith. Come on up. <laughs> okay, it's Alan to begin with. Give him a big cheer. Okay, um, I don't probably need that, but um, just a little lesson for you to, to start with. Don't ever tell Rachel Radbourne that you are coming to a church and you're just going to chill and have a good time because the next day an email will arrive and say, you are preaching, okay? So just be careful what you, you say to Rachel. Uh, most of you won't know me, but actually um, I was at the very first meeting of this church, which was actually at the Radbourne's house. I'm just wondering who else was. I think Jackie was there, um, one or two other people there. And I've spoken here a couple of times, but it's just incredible to see how it's changed. It's completely changed. And I really felt the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. It was just great this morning. Um, you're the Walker family. If you want to come and lead worship, at our church in North Coast. You are so welcome. That was just brilliant. I just loved it. Really? <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So thanks a lot. Anyway, i just just say a bit about me. Um, so I'm at North Coast Church, which is in Tawan. We've got a number of churches. We've got one in Prestatin, one in Wrexham, one in Chester. We're going to plant one in Roussan-Sea in January. So exciting times. But we've always journeyed with Alan and Rachel and with the Saddlers, uh, John and Karen, and indeed with Marie and John, who are great people, and their family. And uh, it's just great to see what you're doing here. Um, I've got a caravan on Anglesey, so actually, just to be honest with you, I've been kicked out of the family home this weekend. I have, because my wife is um, celebrating her mum's 80th birthday. All the women of the family have come. Uh, I would, I'd already got my bags packed. I knew I was going to be sent on to Anglesey. Um, but it's a great island. Um, we've loved Anglesey. We've got a caravan in Triada Bay. We also have a cafe in Brinschenkin, uh, the Heritage Cafe. Anybody ever been to the Heritage? Uh, great bacon sandwiches, great coffee, and they will pray for you too at the Heritage. So my sister-in-law, Sam, runs that. She's a raving Christian. She will pray for anybody that goes in there. Uh, so just go along and encourage Sam. Um, she's, uh, the cafe now has been running for a year, um, they've got all the local community on board, and it's just uh, going from strength to strength. You'll see my wife in there as well, two days a week. Um, anyway, that's enough advertising for the heritage. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's talk about um, how we share our faith. So, I don't know about you, but um, it's a hard thing sharing your faith, isn't it? Do you agree? Is it easy? It isn't because we're in a hostile world, and actually... Um, I've been a pastor involved in church for 30 years. 30 years ago, things were very, very different. So, for example, in a church that I used to run in Buxton, we would uh, put a band on the streets um, every month. We would uh, sing songs about Jesus. Uh, it was a rock and roll band. Um, you can't do that anymore. The council will not let you do things like that anymore. Um, so things have changed quite a lot. And... Sometimes it feels a bit hostile, doesn't it, when you say you're a Christian. Uh, I don't know if in your school or your workplace or wherever you are. But to encourage you, what we're finding um, at North Coast Church, and I'm sure you're finding too, is that though people may appear to be hostile, there's also an increasing openness to the gospel. Do you find that? 
And when we all did Mission Wales, the group that were most taken by Jesus were the 20 to 30-year-olds. They were the ones that were accepting Jesus on the streets uh, a year ago. So I'd encourage you by saying, yes, it's a hostile environment. Yes, we have to change the way we do this. But the message is the same. Jesus is Lord. And actually, people's hearts are open. It's just that they don't realize what they really need. And we were all like that once, weren't we? Um, for me, I'll just tell you my little story because I'm going to just teach you in a, in a minute how to tell your story. In fact, I'll do it right now. So what you do is you, you basically need to do this in about two minutes because if you're in the pub, in your workplace, you don't have three hours. Have you ever heard a Christian start to tell their story and it's a three-hour one? It just doesn't work. So I'll just tell you my story and then we'll do some scripture. I'm going to show you a video. Roger's going to share an amazing testimony. I, I can't tell you how blessed you're going to be to hear this. Uh, just to whet your appetite, this guy was like front page of the Daily Mail two years ago. And now he's a, he's a Christian. And uh, he's got an amazing story to tell you. Um, but let me just tell you my story. So my story, I'm going to try and do this in a couple of minutes. Because when you tell your story, you need to think about this. What happened to you? What was life like before? What happened to you? And what has happened since? Okay? It's very easy. Just those three things. And you can tell your story. So my story is uh, where I was. I was a young police officer in London. I was 21. Uh, life was good. Um, I had met my wife, Nicole. Um, I had a brand new car. I was on the police graduate scheme. I had a flat next to Buckingham Palace. I mean, what 21-year-old doesn't want those things? But my life was a bit empty. I, I was quite an arrogant young man, and I felt an emptiness inside. So that was what it was like before, okay? So before, what happened? Well, what happened to me was that I was dragged to church. Um, literally, the flat I was in was owned by the church. I didn't know that, but I felt I ought to turn up just to look good. So I turned up, and a guy called David Watson was speaking. Anybody know that name? David Watson, he was uh, an evangelist, and he told me that Jesus had died for my sins. No one had ever told me that. He told me that if I had an emptiness inside, then the only way I was going to get rid of that emptiness was to know Jesus. Um, and then he said to all of us, there were probably a hundred of us there, he said, if you want Jesus in your life, you need to stand up now. Now, I was not going to stand. No way was I going to stand. I was a police officer. I was a tough guy. I wasn't going to sort of toe the line with this guy. But I suddenly found I was on my feet. That's the power of God, by the way. I looked around, and my wife, Nicole, and my wife-to-be, Nicole, she was on her feet too, and we gave our life to, to Jesus. What happened after that? Well, it wasn't always straightforward. Um, the church found me quite difficult. Um, we were in a church right in the middle of, of London, uh, quite a posh church, uh, that then uh, saw the Holy Spirit really come into that church. A guy called John Wimber turned up into that church. Some of you will know that name. Um, I was actually mentored by a lovely woman called Eleanor Mumford, who led the Vineyard Church with her husband, John. She, by the way, is the mother of Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. So I babysat Marcus Mumford. How's that? Hey, you, you respond to that one, don't you? So what happened to me? Well, let, let me be honest with you. My life has not been completely straightforward. I'm flawed, just like you. It's not always been perfect, but he's taken me all around the world talking about Jesus. I actually wrote a book last year. It's called Surrounded by Jesus, and it sold loads on Amazon and Kindle. It's mainly about God and mental health and stuff like that. 
Um, it's wowed me. People have come to know Jesus through that book, and it's just wowed me. But what I've learned most of all is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Even when we stray, even when we muck up, as I have done, um, he's faithful. He's a faithful God. Rog, did I do that in two minutes? <laughs> Three minutes. Do you know, I did this at North Coast Church a few weeks ago, and I, it was all going well, and I said, was that good, two minutes? And everyone nodded, and then a, a voice from the audience said, no, it was three minutes, eight seconds. It was my wife. <laughs> it was my wife. Let's look at some scripture. Um, what is our job, okay, as Christians? Okay, what is our job? Well, it's all in Matthew 28, but I just want to read this to you. This is what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That means all peoples, by the way. That means your street, your school, wherever you are. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And this is the important bit. You know, when you're showing your faith, don't forget this bit. And surely I am with you always to the end of the world. Now, note. The last bit there. Often as Christians, we forget that last bit. We think we need to talk to people about Jesus, and we forget that he's already with us. He's ahead of us. He's gone ahead of us. In fact, let's be honest, we are never going to convert anybody in our own strength. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But through the power of God, anything is possible. I've seen that so many times in my life. I've seen, particularly with guys, I've seen me perhaps have a curry with them talk to them argue with them go come on you need to know jesus and nothing happens and then you get that moment when the power of god comes on them i've seen the most hardened guys become christians in our old church in buxton i we have a guy called angus and he was the he was the criminal in the town he was the guy if you wanted someone beaten up apparently you talk to angus and he would do that for you. I was once with him after he'd become a Christian and someone offered him a bank job. I, I'm serious. I was sitting there. He said, he said, I don't do that anymore. And by the way, this is Alan the pastor. It was quite an interesting <laughs> sort of conversation. Um, what happened to Angus was that the power of God came upon him. And, do you know, people didn't really believe that he could possibly have become a Christian. They just didn't believe it. But he did. He loves Jesus more than anybody I know. He's still a tough guy, but his life changed completely. I tell you what, God can change any situation. And I'm going to play your video in a minute because I just want to encourage you. There are some situations you think, oh, God couldn't do that. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's in your family. Maybe you think, oh, no, my sisters, my, my brother's never going to become a Christian. It's never happened. Maybe it's your school, maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's just around here. You think, well, how are we going to fill this place? But God can do anything. So I just want to show you a quick video now. This is Zach Williams, who's a brilliant, brilliant musician, Christian musician, taking the gospel into the hardest place, Harding Prison in the United States. And he is now sharing his music, as you see in this video, with hardened criminals, sex offenders, murderers. Just watch what happens. You've been walking the same old 
Jesus, the message of Jesus will go anywhere, even that place, even our secular society, even Anglesey, even Rose-on-Sea, Jesus is going to reign, Jesus reigns, he does. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share four very practical things in terms of sharing your faith now, and then I'm going to get Roger to come up, um, because I'm the warm-up act, okay, for Rog. The first thing is just to re-emphasize, he goes before you. I find with myself, I need to keep reminding myself all the time. It is not down to us. It is not our responsibility. We just need to speak. We need to love people. We need to open up. We need to open up our homes, all of that. But it's his responsibility. And he's the one that will touch people's hearts. So I'll give you a little story um, of our men's group so we had a guy in our men's group called Chris, and he was an atheist, okay? It's interesting having an atheist in your men's group, okay? We meet every Tuesday night, uh, 15, 20 of us um, at North Coast in town. And this guy turned up, and he kept coming, and it's, it's classic, you know, his wife's a Christian, but he kind of doesn't really get it. So he said to me one, one night, he said, is it all right if I speak one night? Now, that's a bit of a risk, isn't it? I don't know how Rachel would cope with that one. Um, it's a bit of a risk, but I'm, I'm a risk taker, and so are the other guys that work with me. And we said, Chris, if you want to 
lead a, a talk next week. You, you just come and do that. We love you. So he got up and he led a talk. And first of all, the guys were great with him. And they were, there was so much grace. With some of the things he said were a bit, <laughs> a bit iffy. <laughs> but but the, what the guys did, they gently challenged him. Do you remember, Roger? You were there. He was such a gentle, loving challenge back to Chris. And do you know what? I watched this. I began to just laugh. Because do you know what was happening? He was talking himself into the kingdom. <laughs> the more that man talks, the more I just thought, yeah, he's going to make a commitment. Anyway, we talked afterwards. I said, how did that go, Chris? He said, oh, I really enjoyed that. He said, but I've got a problem now, haven't I? I said, you have? You've got a problem, Chris. So what he did, he's a great guy. He took himself off. He had a, a holiday home in Bala, and he took himself off for the weekend. He said, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to just reflect and think. And Anyway, on the Sunday, he had a great big smile on his face as he came back from Bala. I said, Chris, how would it go? And he said, he said, I knelt down. I gave my life to Jesus. Isn't that great? And do you know what? I mean, I'm just thinking even last week, I mean, he was leading a group discussion last week. We don't even, you know, it's the same Chris, but he's just full of Jesus now. It was, wasn't it great last week with Chris? So my point is, you never know what God's going to do. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to keep opening your mouth. You've got to keep loving these guys because the Holy Spirit was on this guy. God was doing amazing things with his, in his life. Second thing is, Work out where God has called you to be. I mean, with me, it's mainly guys. You could, you probably work that out. It's mainly um, tough guys. I love working with tough guys. Not that Roger's a tough guy. He's a nice guy, but I just work with guys like Rog. But where has God called you? Maybe it's uh, where you work. Maybe, maybe it's your family. I mean, my wife has an incredible impact on her family. All her family, near enough, have become Christians. She's got a big family. All her sisters have become Christians. Sam, who leads the, the Heritage Cafe, she became a Christian through my wife. So where has God called you to be? My point is that God has got somewhere for you. And I did feel, just when I was sitting at the back there, I just felt a God thing, that there's one or two of you, and I want to be gentle with this, and say to you, maybe you've stopped sharing your faith. Maybe something stopped you. God really wants to encourage you to share your faith. He's got you in places that there's no one else that can do it apart from you. We've seen even in the Heritage Coffee Shop, uh, John Sadler and I prayed for, for somebody from the Heritage Coffee Shop, somebody who'd just come in for coffee, who then said, I would like prayer. John and I prayed for them. You just don't know what God is going to do. I've got to be careful how I say this, but my wife has become a roving hooker. So you, you're worried now, aren't you? You, you get it. It's, it's crochet, all right? But again, that's another example of what she does. She says there's, a, there's a group of young women, and uh, she, Nicole tells me that the language is pretty blue every, every week, and they drink quite a bit. But Nicole is just part of it. And they know she's a Christian, <laughs> and they know that she follows Jesus. But they love her. You know, they love her so much. When we were on holiday, we were on holiday in Italy. They were at some meeting. They video conferenced her when we were in Italy. And suddenly the roving hookers came on. It's because <laughs> they, they, they missed her. <laughs> My point is, we need to get into the world, don't we? Here's a challenge for you. Are most of your Christian, uh, your friends Christians? Are they? That would be, that's, a, that's great. You're shaking your head because that's, that's the right answer. 
I know in my life, for, for many, many years, most of our friends have been Christians. And I love it now that I'm sort of semi-retired, that a lot of our friends now are non-Christians. We've really got to know the people in our street. And they're non-Christians, and they all know I'm a Christian. They've all read my book, which is a, which is a bit unnerving, because I had a woman the other day, she said, I'd, I'd never met her before, she said, I know all about you. <laughs> She'd read my book. We need to get out there in the world. So that's, that's number two. Number three, always be prepared to tell your story. So I gave you a little way to do it. There's several ways to do it. But you do need to know how you're going to do it. Now, obviously, it's going to change with, with different situations. Sometimes you may get that three hours. But quite often, someone will just say to you in the pub, why, so why do you go to church then? These conversations happen. You've got two or three minutes to say why. Peter says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have I like this bit as well, but do this with gentleness and respect. We love people. We don't go round with banners telling people they're condemned. We don't go round telling people because of their lifestyle they're not acceptable in our church. Yes, they are acceptable because they were acceptable to Jesus. And do you know why everyone should be acceptable in church? It's because Jesus accepted me and you. And we're all flawed. None of us have reached the standard that God expects. So who is the church to point and to criticize and to say, you can't come? You know, I've, I've dealt with so many things as a sort of pastor uh, or part-time pastor over the last 30 years. And the worst thing is when churches exclude people because of their sexuality, because of their lifestyle, because of this or that. And you look at the Bible and you look at Jesus and he never excluded anybody. He loved everybody. And one story I love is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, do you remember that story? He was the chief tax collector. He was hated. Do you know, a tax collector in those days, I if he walked down the street, you'd walk the other side. He was, he, even his testimony in court would not be accepted. But what did Jesus do? He didn't state the obvious and say, your life's a mess. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house tonight. So we can love people. By the way, it doesn't mean we compromise on Scripture. It doesn't mean that we start getting all liberal with the Bible, because I believe the Bible is the Bible. The truth is the truth. But boy, do we need to accept and love people. Um, and just be like Jesus. That, that's the point. You with me so far? Is this okay? Okay. So let me just finish um, my little bit. Um, I'll actually, I will pray for you guys right at the end. But let me just, just end with this. And it might sound a bit a kind of simple thing, but I think it's really important. When you are wanting to share your faith with your neighbors or whatever, what happens if they don't become Christians? The answer is we keep loving them anyway. So I've seen this. I've seen churches sort of get involved with people and then they don't make that commitment. They don't get to where you want them to get to. And then the church goes, oh, well, bye-bye then. I've seen people do that and go, oh, well, I'm not bothering with them anymore. No, I know you guys wouldn't do that. Let's love them anyway. 
for two reasons. Number one, because we're there to lodge them. We're not there to increase our numbers, to hit performance targets, to tick a box, to create mini-me's. We're not, we're not into that. But we want to lodge people. And secondly, because God can do anything. Let me just finish with another little story, and then it's Rog. So my wife, um, many years ago, used to go to school. We, we lived in Birmingham with the kids. And there was another mum that used to go to school with her, with her kids. And every morning, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently she told this lady about Jesus. And this is some 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. And we left Birmingham. Um, she didn't hear from this woman again. She didn't hear about this woman until last year. We bumped into somebody that knew this woman. Her name was Sarah. And um, Nicole said, oh, how, how, how's Sarah? How did, how did life? And remember, this is 25 years. This is a long time. And this woman said, oh, yeah. She said, Sarah, she says, she's a strong Christian now. She said, I, I remember, she said, because um, five years previously, she said she became a Christian and she got baptized. And she said in her testimony, she had talked about the biggest thing that had changed her thinking was a woman called Nicole who used to take her to school and every day tell her about Jesus. Do you see the, the gold of that? You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what God will do. You think, oh, well, I wonder what happened to her. Well, God, God knows. God's in charge. We're, he is the one. He's the potter. We're just the clay. And he will do remarkable things. So I'm going to invite Roger up now. Um, you're going to be just blessed by this. So just give, a, give Roger a, a, a round of applause here. Okay. It's been, it's a real blessing to be here with you this morning. I, I was, I'm, I'm one of the guys that I like to be at the back of the room. I really do like to be at the back of the room. And um, I don't go into situations feeling, I'm a very outgoing, gregarious kind of person, but I don't feel confident in certain situations. So to be with you guys this morning, it's just, it's been a real pleasure to worship with you guys. And the worship was just, it's just amazing. And it just brought all those barriers down in me that, that I was here, I was in a family. These people are part of the family. I might not know you, but I'm part of, we're part of a family. And that's just great to be in that. So I just wanted you to know that, you know, I, this isn't my gig. I, I don't do this very easily. And the thing that I've started to learn is that if you want to share your faith, which I struggle with, if you want to share your, your, your testimony and your story, the first thing I've started doing is, if you die to yourself first, then you can do it. Because if you don't, I find that I can find a lot of reasons not to do it. I can easily find that I can't do that or I won't do that. But I find that if I think about why would I want to share this with and what the purpose is, and I die to myself, it makes it breaks a barrier, and, and I press through. So I just wanted to encourage you um, with that. Right, um, I, I was raised in New Zealand, and um, 
And then I ended up um, being offered some work in Asia. So I went off to Asia and I, I worked as a contracts manager in Asia. And then after the, uh, the contract, um, I had an opportunity to go up to the UK. And I thought, yeah, I'm halfway there. Let's go up to Europe. Let's travel Europe and, and that sort of thing. So I came up to the UK and uh, I fell in love with the place, actually, instantly, believe it or not. Might be strange for someone raised in New Zealand, but I loved Europe and I, I loved the place. And I thought I'd stick around a bit longer than I planned. And... Um, as time went on, I thought, yeah, I'd quite like to find a British girl, you know, and get married. And uh, thought, yeah, they're, they're uh, really good. So I, um, I did. I uh, met a girl called Rachel, and um, I sort of fell in love with her in six days. <laughs> I sort of knew that she was going to be the one. And so we started, and we raised a family in South Manchester. And uh, I've got three grown-up children. Um, 29, 25, 23, and um, life was pretty good. I started to become pretty chuffed with myself, actually, and I thought, hey, th you know, that life's good. This is great. I've got this beautiful wife. I've got these children. I've got a great job. My wife's got a great job. got a great big house, um, and, and I really started to feel pretty good, and I was pretty arrogant with myself how good things were. It got to the stage where we moved out of Manchester, moved to North Wales, because that's the place to live, loved North Wales. And um, things carried on even more, uh, had enough money to buy another house, so bought a holiday home, um, had some houses, ended up with a boat on the marina at Hollyhead, and uh, all this sort of thing. And I remember thinking to myself, life couldn't get much better. And it was all down to me. But when I was really honest with myself, there was something inside that was empty. A bit, the bit that was empty really annoyed me. It really did annoy me. So as I was going through life, and that was great, one day, the beginning of where I'm at now started. I was in my bed. A few of the children, a couple of the children were still at home. This was five years ago. I had a knock at the door at 7.30 in the morning. A little unusual. Thought it might have been a delivery guy. Um, a bit early, but thought, oh, that's strange. So went downstairs, opened the door, and 10 policemen came through the door from Manchester. There was in North Wales, but the 10 policemen came through the door, basically shut down the house, dragged everyone out of bed, put us in a room, and they were the fraud squad. And they had come in to do an investigation to my family. Uh, basically, my wife was a working in the law industry, um, she was a big high flyer in a, in a company. Mm -hmm. And um, the accusations were that she was stealing from her employer, a large company, and the fraud squad were going to investigate uh, the situation. So they stayed for about eight hours. They went through the house, every square inch. 
When they left, we had nothing left as far as every computer, every laptop, every iPad, all gone, all the records gone, bang, gone. And life started to spiral down pretty fast. The investigation took three years, which was a long, hard three years, while they unpicked, they unpicked the theft of 320,000 pounds and charged my wife with that, charged me with it because I was her husband, really, and must have known about it. I had some suspicions, but I didn't know any details. Anyway, we were charged uh, as two separate entities. Um, and then court cases started. I've had uh, many court cases and what have you. And we cut to the chase. We ended up in the Crown Court in Manchester, where we had to stand in front of a very senior judge. And this was at the end of three years. And I was, I was in a really bad place. I'm sorry to just out of order. Over that three years, my wife had left me. Um, and we were standing, standing there and I was ready. Now, I knew from my barrister that I was going to get a prison sentence because he just said, you, you know, you just... Uh, my wife, she had her own barristers and her own legal team in there. Um, so the presentation at the court for both cases, and then the judge went to deliberate. Sorry, I pleaded guilty. I pleaded guilty to everything from the beginning. Um, so I'm outside. Now things start getting interesting. <laughs> I didn't like this, but... Because <laughs> we haven't got Jesus in the story yet. <laughs> He's coming. <laughs> And so I'm outside now waiting for the judge to deliberate on what he is going to do with the each of us. Uh, we're on different charges and what have you. And I'm outside with my son. And my son, he at the time, was about 23. And he's there with his best friend. And we're standing outside. And you can imagine, this is pretty much the worst day of my life. You take a bag with you when you go, and that's your prison bag. And that's got all a few little bits and pieces that you need. And you're carrying that in the court because when it's over, like you going out the back door, you need that stuff. So I'm in the car park outside the, um, <laughs> outside the court. And out of the blue, and I no one had ever said to me this, I hadn't heard this maybe 30-odd years, 40 years, this guy says to me, he could see that I was really at a low place. This young guy says to me, can I pray for you? Well, at that point, I, I was absolutely gobsmacked with what he said. Cause, uh, and, but I was in such a state that I thought just anything. I couldn't get any lower than where I was at the time. So I said, yes. So he put his arms on me. He put his arm around me. And, and my son, who wasn't a Christian, 
He put his arm around me, and this guy prayed for me. He just prayed for God's protection. He just prayed for righteousness. He prayed for justice. He prayed for the judge that was about to talk to me in the next 15 minutes. And it was, it really, looking back, it was beautiful. It was just comforting, although the inevitable was coming. So I went back into the court for sentencing. And you stand in a perspex box, just like on the telly, with all the media there and lots of people and all the um, legal teams. And you stand there and uh, in the box. And he, uh, well, I was sitting at the time. And then he asked my wife to stand up. And she was just sitting there. She stood up and he spoke to her for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and he summed up the case. And then I remember these words, and he said, So, Mrs. Swettenham, I sentence you to four years imprisonment. Take her down. And there was a guard in there with us, and the guard came and handcuffed her and took her out. There was a little back door and took her out and down into the cells. Guard came back. Judge asked me to stand up. Right, Mr. Swettenham. Spoke to me for about 10 minutes and said, Mr. Swentnam, I'm going to sentence you to one year's imprisonment, but I will suspend that for two years. You may go. And I, it did not sink in for quite some time, actually. And I turned to the guard who was standing to my left and I said, um, can I go? And he went, yes, you can go. Like, really? Can I go? And all the court was getting up. He went, yes, you can go. And I remember saying, can I go that way? <laughs> he said, yes, you can go that way. <laughs> and what had happened was I everything had been going for this day. Everything I was thinking about was this day. Uh, was if I could just stay out of prison. I didn't even know any bad people. I didn't even know what cr criminals. And I just thought, life in prison, I, I don't know if I can handle that. So I was working towards this day, and if I could get this day, and if I could stay out of prison, then I knew I would be okay. I knew that life would be all right, and I could manage to, to pick myself up again. So I went home, and I went into an incredibly dark place because what I was thinking that was going to happen, that if I could just get through and not go to prison, that everything would be all right, was so wrong, was incredibly wrong. And I broke down. I was alone. I had no wife. The family structure had been completely destroyed. I had out the houses had gone, the money had gone, everything had gone. I had just a few pounds in my pocket. I was in a little rented bungalow, and I had no one. I had no friends, no family, nothing. I felt terrible. I was in the darkest place. When I look back on it now, it's almost like that was my little hell. And it was because there was hell to me is a place there is without God, if there is no God. And I was in that hell. And one night, it was just a, about nine days after that prison case, I was at home. I was in my hell. I had didn't want to live. I hated waking up every day thinking, oh, I've got to live another day. And a little voice said to me, Roger, go to church. Now, that is a really weird thing for me to sort of hear and say. And I thought, church ain't the answer. I don't want to go to church. And then I heard this little voice say, go to church. And I said, I don't even know any churches. I don't know anybody who goes to church. And 
my curiosity got me, something got me to get an iPad out. I got an iPad out, opened an iPad, I typed in local churches, and all these names came up, and I looked at them, and I read this list of about 15 churches, and I was so depressed. And I just thought, St. Michael, St. Andrews, and it had, my picture of church was just pews and death, and oh, just, and I thought, no. And then there was one little name, one little name kept jumping out, and I thought, What's that? That's not Saint something. I-61. I thought, that's a strange name for a church. What's this about? Went on the website. What's the website? Went on the website, looked at it, and thought, oh, wow, that doesn't look dead. <laughs> wow. They meet at the local multiplex cinema in Cinema 5, and Screen 5. And I thought, this I gotta see. A church that meets in the cinema? So... The next morning, I got up. I was quite positive. I couldn't believe it. I was going to church. And I went to uh, I-61. I turned up there for the 11 o'clock service, very nervous, walked in. And I was met by a lady called Angela. And she just looked at me. And no one had ever looked at me like that before. She just had something in her eye. There was something about her. And I didn't want to take my eyes off her. And then a guy called um, Tom came up to me and said, come in. Hi, welcome, welcome. And he had the same look in his eye. And I thought, wow, this is weird. And I went in there. And I met Jesus. <laughs> I went in there. It was incredible. I cried for an hour and a half. But the Spirit of God just fell upon me. It fell upon me so strong. And Jesus was saying that you're loved. And I felt so bad. I was so lost. And... I crawled there myself, and, and, and he met me, and he's been my Lord and Savior since, and I've got to know him a little bit more every day, and his grace is, is unbelievable, and what I found to encourage you is, this is so true, these people did not judge me. I needed someone to love me, because I felt unloved, and the world out there feels unloved, and they, they don't need any more condemning because a lot of them condemn themselves. So to be condemned by us is just like, why would I go to church? I feel condemned myself. I don't need any more. We need to love people and just meet them where they're at and that we're not here to fix people. People that we're not here to fix people. Jesus said to us, we're here to love people. And I just want to encourage you because that's what happened to me, that these guys did not judge me, they did not, they loved me, and, but Jesus also just came and said, Roger, it's okay, I'll, I'll come and I'll pick you up. And I was lucky enough, there was a men's group, and I needed fellowship. So I'm this brand new Christian, I needed fellowship, and I thought, I just need more of this. I need to be with people just, just, to pick me up. There was a men's group on the next Tuesday. So this is nine days after the court case. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to men's group. So I turned up at men's group in this little cafe. They used to rent this little cafe and have men's group. About eight, ten guys would turn up and just fellowship and talk about Jesus and stuff like that. And I remember I turned up there and I cried the whole, <laughs> the whole time. I think I cried for the first month, actually. But I cried there. And uh, at the end of that men's group, and I felt very uh, nervous and alone, but, but comfortable within that, 
that's where Alan, who's spoken to you today, came up to me, and he just, he knew. <laughs> he just said, he didn't know anything about me. He just said, you need to talk to someone, don't you? You need to sit down and just have a chat. And he said, would you like coffee sometime? So he invited me around to his house. And he just listened to me spew out my life. For the first few months, he just listened, loved me, told me it was going to be okay, and encouraged me in Jesus. And we've met every Monday night for two years. He's still inputting into me. And where I'm at at the moment is things are really good. I'm wanting to carry on, and it's, it's, just, it's just an honor, really, to stand here before you. It's really therapy for me. I don't do this very often, but I'm learning to because I, I want to glorify our Lord and Savior because of what he did for me. Thanks a lot. So, um, actually, I think we'll, we'll pray for Roger, actually. By the way, we, we, we do like taking risks. So, he's now joining our youth, and he's not joined to become a youth. He's actually helping to, to teach our youth. So, isn't that brilliant?